This program is made possible by BibleWayMedia.org, overseen by the Uloga Church of Christ in Uloga, Oklahoma. You're listening to Opening the Scriptures with Don Boyd. Welcome to the program today. This is Don Boyd with the Moody Church of Christ. I want to welcome you to Opening the Scriptures. We're going to continue our studies in the book of Job today, and we're going to be in Job chapter 15, verse 26. We're in Eliphaz's speech against, or second speech here, is against Job. And he has been accusing Job of many, many different things. Now, in verse 26, Eliphaz says that the wicked man, of course, he's referring to Job, is like a crazed bull that runs furiously against God. Verse 26, again, Job chapter 15 says, he runneth upon him, even on his neck, upon the thick bosses of his bucklers. All right, Wayne Jackson on page 47 in his book, uh, work, The Book of Job, states this, and I quote, Job is accused of stubbornly assaulting God, rushing him with a thick shield. The word bosses are, unquote, the word boss is there from the Hebrew word gob. According to Brown Driver Briggs, the word boss is a convex projection of a shield. So again, Job hasn't done this, but Eliphaz thinks he has. And by his, in his opinion, by his own experience and the wisdom of the ancients, he declares Job is wicked. In verse 27, Eliphaz says that we all agree, that being him and his three, two friends and the ancients, they all agree that the wicked man indulges himself with food to the point of obesity. Verse 27, Job 15. It says, Because he covereth his face with his fatness and maketh collops of fat on his flanks. So Eliphaz is accusing Job of being this way when he was prosperous as living in luxury and excess. Now Job was not like this, but Eliphaz accuses him of it. And so by his experience and the wisdom of the ancients, he declares to Job that Job is wicked. Well, in verse 28, Eliphaz says that we all agree that the wicked man will dwell in a desolate place, Job 15, 28. says, And he dwelleth in desolate cities and in houses which no man inhabiteth, which are ready to become heaps. Well, Job is dwelling among the ashes and scraping himself with broken pieces of pottery. You go back to Job chapter 2, verse 8. Job 2, 8 of Job, it says, he took him a pot shirt to scrape himself with all, and he sat down among the ashes. So what Eliphaz is telling Job is, you know, Job, look at your current dwelling place. You're sitting in ashes. Therefore, because of my experience and the wisdom of the ancients, we declare you are wicked. And then Eliphaz says that we all agree the wicked man will lose his wealth and be in poverty while he lives on the earth. Job 15, 29. He says there, 
He shall not be rich, neither shall his substance continue. Neither shall he prolong the perfection thereof upon the earth. The word perfection there from the Hebrew word minle, Brown Driver Briggs says it means gain, wealth, or acquisition. Well, Job lost all that he owned. You go back to Job chapter 1, verses 14 through 17. Job 1, 14 through 17. Says, and there came a messenger unto Job and said, The oxen were plowing in, and the donkeys feeding beside them. And the Sabaeans fell upon them and took them away. Yea, they have slain the servants with the edge of the sword, and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. While he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, The fire of God is fallen from heaven, and hath burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. While he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, The Chaldeans made out three bands and fell upon the camels and have carried them away, yea, and slain the servants with the edge of the sword. And I only am escaped alone to tell thee. So Job lost all his own, and Eliphaz is here saying, Look, Job, your wealth has been destroyed. And by my experience and the wisdom of the ancients, we declare you're wicked. Then Eliphaz says that we all agree that the wicked man will be destroyed by God's wrath. Job chapter 15, verse 30. It says, He shall not depart out of darkness. The flame shall dry up his branches. By the breath of his mouth shall he go away. Well, Job had mentioned earlier that he was engulfed in darkness and God's breath will wither him. So, Job, just just look at yourself. Look at your situation, some of the things you've said. By my experience and the wisdom of the ancients, we declare you are wicked. You know, Eliphaz aims to leave a dismal scene in the mind of Job here. And then in verse 31, Eliphaz tells Job that if he values his future, he had better straighten up. Job 15, 31. Let not him that is deceived trust in vanity, for vanity shall be his recompense. Eliphaz is telling Job that he is deceived by these worldly things. He tells Job that he lost everything because he trusted in his riches, and you reap what you sow. So you are a wicked man, Job. You need to straighten up. In verse 32, Eliphaz warns Job that he will suffer a premature death if he does not repent of his wickedness. Job 15:32. It shall be accomplished before his time, and his branch shall not be green. Adam Clark says of this verse, and I quote, He shall be removed by violent death and not live out half his days, and his branch shall not be green. There shall be no skying from his root. All his posterity shall fail, unquote. And of course, all of Job's children had died. So Job, Straighten up if you want to have a good future. 
Then Eliphaz warns that any other children Job may have will never survive him. Job 15.33 He shall shake off his unripe grape as the vine, and shall cast off his flower as the olive. So right there, Adam Clark of the verse says, and I quote him, Whatever children he may have, they shall never surviving nor come to mature age. They shall be like windfall grapes and blasted olive blossoms, unquote. Well, all of Job's children, as we mentioned, were killed in that windstorm in Job chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. Job 1, 18 and 19. It says, And while he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, Thy sons and thy daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house. And behold, there came a great wind from the wilderness and smote the four corners of the house. And it fell upon the young men, and they are dead. And I only am escaped alone to tell thee. So he's, Eliphaz is telling Job, if you'd repented when you should have, your children would still be alive. It's all your fault, Job. And then, in Job 15.34, Eliphaz accuses Job of being a hypocrite. Job 15.34. For the congregation of hypocrites shall be desolate, and fire shall consume the tabernacles of bribery. Gary Workman, on page 158 of the 16th Spiritual Sword Lectureship book, made this comment, and I quote, Job could certainly feel the sting of this remark since his children had been killed and fire had burned up his sheep and his servants, chapter 1, verses 16 to 19. Eliphaz's reference to tents of bribery appears to be a veiled accusation against Job of being guilty of hypocrisy and perversion of justice, thus accounting for the accumulation of Job's wealth, unquote. Well, in verse 35 of chapter 15, Eliphaz goes back to a statement that he had made earlier. Job 15:35. They conceive mischief and bring forth vanity, and their belly prepareth deceit. Well, Eliphaz had accused Job of filling his belly with the east wind back in verse 2 of chapter 15 where he said, should a wise man utter vain knowledge and fill his belly with the east wind. So now he accuses Job of preparing deceit in his belly. Eliphaz wants Job to admit that his claims of innocence were not only useless, but they were also deceitful. So Eliphaz presented a, a speech outlining the fate of the wicked man, and in every case, he accused Job of being wicked because of his own experience and the wisdom of the ancients. He said they all agree that Job is wicked, and he needs to repent if he wants to succeed in the future. But if Job is unwilling to repent, he will suffer all that Eliphaz has presented. Gary Workman sums up Eliphaz's list on page 159 of the 16th Spiritual Sword Lectureship book, and he says, and I quote, 
Such a man will agonize in fear, suffer poverty, walk in darkness, lose his friends and family, amount to nothing in the end, and go to an early grave, unquote. Well, everything that's happening to Job, Eliphaz says, it's because you're evil, Job. Well, Job's going to respond in chapters 16 and 17. And let's get into those right now. Well, Eliphaz had just ripped into Job, accused him of being wicked, tried to prove his accusations by showing Job by Eliphaz's own experience, wisdom and knowledge of the ancients. They agree that someone that is experiencing what Job is experiencing must be wicked and he needs to repent. And Job is going to respond to these accusations in verse chapter 16 and 17. David Farr said of these two chapters in the 16th Spiritual Sword Lectureship on page 150, quote, It is essential to remember that the chapters before us are no more than another sampling of Job's feeble efforts to find an answer, being therefore a mixture of truth and confusion, of bewilderment and hope, of faith and ignorance, unquote. So to start with, Job told his friends that he has heard the sayings of the ancients and they do not apply to his case. Job 16, 1 and 2. Then Job answered and said, I have heard many such things. Miserable comforters are ye all. So the accusations of Eliphaz against Job, Job says they're useless because they don't help me in any way, and none of those things apply to me. Well, because his friends had failed miserably to comfort Job, and that was their intention when they came. You go back to Job chapter 2, verse 11. <clears throat> Job 2, 11. It says, Now when Job's three friends heard of all this evil that was come upon him, they came every one from his own place, Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Namathite, for they had made an appointment together to come to mourn with him and to comfort him. Well, they hadn't done that because he calls them miserable comforters. The word miserable from the Hebrew word amal means labor, toil, vexation, sorrow, and that's according to Wilson's Old Testament word studies. In Job 16.3, Job asks his friends, what makes them so arrogant that they think they have all the answers? Job 16, verse 3. Shall vain words have an end? Or what emboldeth thee that thou answerest? Job says that Eliphaz's words are vain and empty, and that's a response to what Eliphaz had charged Job with back in chapter 15, verses 2 and 3, where it says, Should a wise man utter vain knowledge and fill his belly with the east wind? Should he reason with unprofitable talk or with speeches wherewith he can do no good? So Job is responding to that. And then... Job says his friends are totally ignorant of the matter. So what irritates them to make them answer Job in such a severe and unkind manner? Well, Job then tells them he could treat them the same way 
if they were in his place, Job 16, 4, where it says, I also could speak as ye do. If your soul were in my soul's stead, I could heap up words against you and shake mine head at you. So Job could speak to them in the same critical way that they're speaking to him. So again, he asked what so irritates them to make them answer Job in such a severe and unkind way here. And he said, you know, he could speak to them. He could shake his head at them just as they are doing to him. But Job says in verse 5, he wouldn't do that to them. Job 16, verse 5. But I would strengthen you with my mouth, and the moving of my lips should assuage your grief. So Job said he would strengthen and comfort them with things he would have to say. And then he says they would, his words would assuage their grief. Brown Driver Briggs says that that word, Hebrew word there means to withhold, restrain, hold back, keep in check, or refrain. So he's saying that he would help and comfort them if they were in his place. But Job finds no comfort by speaking or being silent. Verse 6 of chapter 16. He says, Though I speak, my grief is not assuaged. And though I forbear, what am I eased? In other words, Job is saying there, either way, his friends attack him and his pain continues. You know, if I say something, you're going to attack me. If I'm silent, you're going to attack me. And the pain is still there. You haven't helped any. Well, Job now describes what he believes God has done to him, and that's verses 7 down to verse 14. The first thing he says is he believes God has exhausted him and taken away his family in verse 7 of chapter 16. But now hath he made me weary, thou hast made desolate all my company. Adam Clark says of this verse, and I quote, Thou hast made me weary with continual affliction. My strength is quite exhausted. And thou hast made desolate all my company, not leaving me a single child to continue my name or to comfort me in sickness or old age. Unquote. Job believes that God has dried up his body. Chapter 16, verse 8. And thou hast filled me with wrinkles, which is a witness against me. And my leanness rising up in me beareth witness to my face. You know, this is a reference to Job's scrawny condition there. Those who saw Job's condition saw or thought they saw the consequences of great sin. Now, Job also believes that God hates him and that God is turned on him like a vicious beast. There in chapter 16, verse 9. It says, He teareth me in his wrath, who hateth me. He gnasheth upon me with his teeth. Mine enemy sharpeneth his eyes upon me. Job feels like an animal that is caught in a predator's mouth. 
Albert Barnes puts it this way, and I quote, looks fiercely, watches me narrowly as an animal does his victim when about to seize upon it. The image is probably drawn from the intense gaze of the lion when about to pounce upon his prey, unquote. Well, Job in verses 10 and 11 may be referring back to his friends, but he believes that God is behind all of his troubles. There in verses 10 and 11 of chapter 16. They have gaped upon me with their mouth. They have smitten upon me the, uh, <clears throat> smitten me upon the cheek reproachfully. They have gathered themselves together against me. God hath delivered me to the ungodly and turned me over into the hands of the wicked. The word gaped there, they have gaped upon me, means to open the mouth wide, and that's the definition of the Hebrew word pa'ar. He says they're like wild beasts with their mouths open to devour him. He's saying his friends have entered into a conspiracy to oppose him. And then Job believes that God has thrown him over into the hands of his wicked friends as a prisoner or a captive. Well, Job believes that God is treating him like a dog shakes a rabbit when he catches the rabbit. Job 16, 12. I was at ease, but he hath broken me asunder. He hath also taken me by my neck and shaken me to pieces and set me up for his mark. <clears throat> Job, he's saying, used to be happy and secure, but no more. Job says God has crushed him and shaken him to pieces. <clears throat> Excuse me. Job also uses the figure of an archer that sets up a target. And he says that he is the target and God is the archer. Well, Job believes that God has not come alone to shoot at him. Verse 13 of chapter 16. His archers, you notice the plural there. His archers compass me round about. He cleaveth my reins asunder and doth not spare. He poureth out my gall upon the ground. Adam Clark on this verse states this, and I quote, On this and the following verse, Mr. Heath observes, and now quoting him, The metaphor here, or is here, taken from huntsmen. First they surround the beast, then he is shot dead. His entrails are next taken out. Then his body is broken up limb by limb, unquote. Job believes that God continually is repeating the attack on Job and rushes on him like a giant after a helpless victim. Job 16, 14. He breaketh me with breach upon breach. He runneth upon me like a giant. Breach upon breach there comes from a Hebrew word that means to breach, gap, or bursting forth. 
And the word giant there, according to Strong's, means powerful. By implication, a warrior or a tyrant. Well, in verses 15 and 16 of chapter 16, Job describes how all of this has left him. In verse 15, Job says he is constantly mourning, wounded, and humbled. Verse 15, I have sewed sackcloth upon my skin and defiled my horn in the dust. Sackcloth is a symbol of grief. The horn is a symbol of strength. So Job was a grief-stricken, defeated man. In verse 16, Job says his face was distorted from much crying. Job 16, 16. My face is foul with weeping, and on my eyelids is the shadow of death. The word foul there, my face is foul with weeping, means to boil, foam, foam up, or ferment, to be reddened. This gives the idea of Job's face being swollen and red, and in mentioning the shadow of death, he felt he was about to die. Now in chapter 16, verses 17 to 22, Job protests that the things that are happening to him are not deserved and he hopes to be found blameless. In verse 17, Job claims everything is happening to him is not done from him doing wrong. Job 16, 17. Not for any injustice in mine hands, also my prayer is pure. Job claims that these things are not happening to him because of any violence he has done. Uh, the word injustice there, not for any injustice in mine hands. The word in the Hebrew means violence, wrong, cruelty, or injustice. And Job claims his prayer is not hypocritical, as his friends have claimed. He says his prayer is pure. But back in chapter 15, verse 34, Eliphaz told Job, for the congregation of hypocrites shall be desolate, and fire shall consume the tabernacles of bribery. And then, you know, your prayer, you're, you're a hypocrite, Job. <coughs> but Job says his prayer is pure. And in verse 18, Job hopes his righteous cause is not buried in the dust of the earth. Job 16:18 O earth cover not thou my blood and let my cry have no place David Farr on page 163 of the lectureship spiritual sword lectureship book stated this Whether he lived in suffering or died he wanted his name cleared that he was an innocent victim unquote well, Job says he knows that in heaven the truth is known. Verse 19 of chapter 16. Also now behold, my witness is in heaven, and my record is on high. 
So Job turns in his thoughts from God as being his enemy to faith that God is his friend. Albert Barnes says this to the verse, and I quote, that is, I can appeal to God for my sincerity. He is my witness, and he will, he will bear record for me. This is an evidence of returning confidence in God to which Job always returns even after the most passionate and irreverent expressions, unquote. Well, in verse 20, Job says he can't count on his friends, so he's going to appeal to God, Job 16, 20. My friends scorn me, but mine eye poureth out tears unto God. Though his friends scorning, Job knows that God will show him compassion. And Job wants a, a discussion with God. In verse 21, he wants to plead his case before God. He says, Oh, that I might plead for a man with God as a man pleadeth for his neighbor. Well, Job's efforts to get his friends to see the truth have failed. So he calls for someone to plead his case before God, just as he has done with his friends. Now, Job does not expect to live much longer. Job 16, 22. He says, When a few years are come, then I shall go to the place whence I shall not return. So Job may be thinking that his time on earth is too short to clear his name. So he will wait to be cleared in the next world. Now, chapter 17, verse 1, continuing the same thought here, Job expected death at any moment. He said, my breath is corrupt. The American Standard Version says, my spirit is consumed. My days are extinct. The graves are ready for me. Breath is corrupt again. His spirit is broken. Albert Barnes says this, and I quote, the idea is that his vital powers were nearly extinct, his breath failed, his power was weakened, and he was ready to die. In chapter 17, verse 2, Job talks of his being distressed by his friend's continual scorn of him. Job 17, 2. Are there not mockers with me? And doth not mine eye continue in their provocation? Job's three friends were constantly insulting him. John Gill says this of the verse, and I quote, His sense is that they were continually provoking him with their words, their scoffs, jeers, their censures, their calumnies, or their slander and the weak reasons and arguments they made use of to support their charges and suspicions. These dwelt upon his mind not only in the daytime but in the night, so that he could not get a wink of sleep for them." Unquote. In verse, chapter 17, verse 3, Job asked God to lay down now a bond to guarantee his innocence. Job 17, 3. Lay down now, put me in a surety with thee. Who is he that will strike hands with me? Well, Job says since his three friends were against him, who would make an agreement with him but God? 
Job wants to go to court with God, settle the matter. But the problem is Job is putting forth God as an equal. Well, Job's friends, he says in verse 4, were unfit to undertake his cause. Job 17, 4. For thou hast hid their heart from understanding, therefore shalt thou not exalt them. Job's friends have no understanding in the matter, so their cause should not be exalted, shouldn't be heard, shouldn't be lifted up or anything like that. And Job's friends had denounced him. Chapter 17, verse 5. He that speaketh flattery to his friends, uh, the American Standard says, denounce his friends for a prey, even the eyes of his children shall fail. Adam Clark says this, and I quote, The general sense is this. The man who expects much from his friends will be disappointed, and while depending on them, his children's eyes may fail in looking for, for bread, unquote. Well, Job now shifts again to what he believes God has done there in chapter 17, verse 6. He says, He hath made me a byword of the people, and aforetime I was a tabret, a byword. Wilson's Old Testament word studies, studies there says that the word translated byword means a song of derision. And a tabret, I was a tabret. That means the act of spitting or spit. The American Standard Version translates that as they spit in my face. The literal translation puts it this way. He has also, excuse me, he has also set me as a byword of the peoples. I am a spitting to the faces. Well, Job mentions in Job 17, 7 that his body is but a shadow of what it had been. Verse 7. Mine eye is dim by reason of sorrow, and all my members are as a shadow. You think about the continual weeping that Job had mentioned earlier. It's impaired his eyesight, and there's nothing left of Job but skin and bone. In Job 17, 8, Job says, Upright people would be stunned at the way he was treated. Job 17, 8. Upright men shall be astonished at this, and the innocent shall stir up himself against the hypocrite. Well, Adam Clark says concerning this verse, and I quote again, The upright will receive the account with astonishment and wonder at the dispensations of the Almighty, while hypocrites, false professors, and sour-headed Un, uh, godly, sour-headed godly shall be unmasked, and innocent men, whether in affliction or affluence, shall be made known to be favorites of the Almighty, unquote. <coughs> well, in chapter 17, verse 9, Job is confident in the ultimate success of the righteousness. Job 17, 9. The righteous also shall hold on his way, 
And he that hath clean hands shall be stronger and stronger. So he's saying the righteous will stay faithful to God, regardless of what is happening to them, and grow in strength because their hands are clean. So he's telling Eliphaz and Zophar and Bildad, you're all wrong about what you're saying about me. I am faithful to God. I'm going to stay faithful to God. And because my hands are clean, I'm going to have strength in God. Well, Job says his friend's accusations do not affect him because there's not a wise man among them. Job 17.10 But as for you all, do ye return and come now. For I cannot find one wise man among you. Adam Clark says here, and I quote, You're too proud and too full of self-importance to profit by what you see. Return, enter into yourselves, consider your ways, go again to school, get back to your own houses, endeavor to acquire humility and knowledge. For there is not one wise man among you, unquote. Well, in verse 11 of chapter 17, Job is depressed at the thought of his coming death. Job 17, 11. My days are past. My purposes are broken off. Even the thoughts of my heart. Job thinks his time is running out. All of his plans are done. All they're, they're gone. His ideas are gone. The thoughts of his heart can never be accomplished. He can't do what he wishes to do. He thinks his time is running out. Well, Job's plans and ideas are now gloomy. Chapter 17, verse 12. They change the night into day. The light is short because of darkness. Adam Clark says that Job, and I quote, a fine picture of the state of mind he was in. He was generally in darkness, but had occasional gleams of hope, unquote. Well, Job expects the grave to be his home, Job seventeen thirteen. He says, if I wait, the grave is mine house. I have made my bed in the darkness, Job expected to soon enter the region of departed spirits where his permanent abode would be. He says he's making his bed in the grave and expects to soon lie down in it. In verse 14, Job has lost everybody on earth. He considers the corruption of the tomb to be his family. Verse 14. I have said to corruption, thou art my father, to the worm, thou art my mother and my sister. The word corruption there comes from the Hebrew word that means pit, destruction, or the grave. Job considered himself in relation to the grave as close as a son is to his father. Job considered the worms that eat the putrefying flesh as close as a son to his mother or as a brother to his sister. 
Job thought he would soon be blended with the grave and the worms, so he called them his nearest relations. Well, Job has lost hope of being of being vindicated in the eyes of men. Job seventeen fifteen. And where is now my hope? As for my hope, who shall see it? No one living on earth would see him declared righteous when he enters into the next life. And then all Job's hopes for vindication of what had happened to him would go with him to the grave. In verse 16, they shall go down to the bars of the pit, the Hebrew word sheol, when our rest together is in the dust. David Farr says on page 165 of the Spiritual Sword Lectureship book, and I quote, Job ends his speech with the despair that has generally characterized it. Though he briefly touched on themes of faith and hope, the burden of pain and despair has confused his mind and tongue. Thus ends Job's rebuttal, uh, rebuttal to Eliphaz. Oh, excuse me. The quote ended at the word tongue. Now, thus ends Job's rebuttal to Eliphaz. Job viewed his future as doom and gloom, but he still expected to be declared righteous in the end by God. Well, Bildad is going to continue the attack of, the attack of Job's three friends there in chapter 18. Well, we want to combine chapters 18 and 19, Lord willing, in the next lesson. So we're going to stop there today at the end of chapter 17. But again, this is Don Boyd with the Moody Church Christ in Moody, Missouri. Uh, again, if you're ever in Moody, Missouri, around the West Plains or Branson area, we're only a couple of hours away from there. So if you ever have the opportunity, come by and worship with us. We are located at the corner of Highway E there in Moody, Missouri. We meet on Sunday morning at 10 o'clock for Bible classes and 11 o'clock for worship. Uh, we meet at 6 o'clock during Daylight Savings Time Sunday evening and 5 o'clock during Standard Time Sunday evening for worship and then at 6 o'clock also Wednesday evening for Bible study. So thank you for being with us today. We look forward to being with you next time. When you're in Moody, Missouri, you're invited to visit the Moody Church of Christ located on Highway E in Moody, Missouri. The congregation there meets on Sunday morning at 10 a.m. for Bible class, 11 a.m. for worship, and then again at 6 p.m. for Sunday evening worship. They also meet at 6 p.m. on Wednesday night for Bible study. We thank you for tuning in today. We hope you enjoyed this program. You can find out more about Bible Wave Media by visiting us at BibleWaveMedia.org. You can also find us on several uh, social media platforms now. You can find us not only on Facebook, but you can also can find us on Tumblr. You can also find us on the Twitter alternative known as Telegram and on the Facebook alternative known as MeWe. We hope you enjoyed this program. We hope you will share with others. And as always, we thank you for listening.